the he's a pilot, and one of the struggles in the movie is he's he's also an alcoholic, has a problem with alcohol. And this little scene lasts a minute and a half or so. It's a perfect little scene for the difficulty of exercising self-control. So perfect. Everybody here, every man here knows that. It's like this thing is calling through a door. And you know once he opens it, first of all, he shouldn't be in a hotel where the you could even get to it, but you know once he opens the door, it's done. But the way we fool ourselves is we can look at it, we can hold it, we can smell it. We can do all these things, but it's just creating that engine that's going to want it. And, and then we set it up and look at it, and then it's over. The very next scene, his room's destroyed and he's passed out. So with, if you're not going to exercise self-control just in some of these areas, your life can end up being a disaster. Another picture I want to put in your head, Proverbs 25, 25, 28, says this, uh, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. So a city has walls back in the New Testament, Old Testament, for protection. So enemies can't, you know, come in and override the city. And if your walls are broken down, then you just have no protection. And it's like if you're not exercising self-control, if you're not put, building a good wall around your soul, around your life, it gets overrun. 
And several years ago, there was uh, one of these, you know, 100-year floods, and I honestly can't remember where it, it happened in the States, but somewhere out in the Midwest, and what was happening was all this water was feeding into the Mississippi, and it was really overrunning the Mississippi, but a couple of states downstream, I think it was um, down in the south, they had these warnings to say, hey, even though it's not raining down here, we're going to have to open up these gates that, ha- that we've kept. And I don't, think, I don't know if they'd ever been used to dam up the river. So they'd been unopened for like 50 years. And all these people over time had populated the area around there. There's mostly farming land. And they told all the farmers, hey, we got to open these gates. We're sorry, but it's going to flood your land. There's no way to avoid it. So if you can take every precaution to at least save your house. And so these farmers went out and they took their backhoes and tractors and built these mounds around their house. And some of them ended up looking like this. So yeah, all of his fields were gone, but at least when the water receded, you know, he had his house. Think about the effort that took. One little crack in the wall. See, it wasn't like the whole wall came down, but everything got ruined by one little crack, one little space. So you can be doing great in so many areas, but this one area you're not great in can destroy your whole life. And so the the proverb, the, the wise man in Proverbs knows this, Jesus knows this. And if you want to just turn and look with me quickly at some of these passages, Matthew 26 is probably uh, one of the most obvious places that Jesus is trying to teach self-control. And Jesus is in up, up our room. You remember this discussion? And he's telling his disciples, hey, it's the Last Supper. He's telling his disciples what's going to happen. He's going to die. And he's going to be arrested and died. And Peter, in verse 33, he makes this terrible boast. If you ever feel like boasting about yourself, go read Matthew 26, 33. Hey, hey even if all these other people fade away, I'm going to be able to stand, stand tall. Now, just think about a locker room full of guys and that statement coming out. What the, who do you think, you know, you can just imagine all the other disciples. So you're somehow, you're special. So he pops up and says, hey, I'm going to be the one who, who stands firm. And then they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. So they're in Jerusalem. And on one side of Jerusalem is a valley. And in this valley, it's a big olive orchard. And inside this olive orchard is a smaller garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Probably a favorite place that the disciples had walked through before. So they go to this garden. And Jesus says, hey, now is a great time for you to be praying for yourself and for me. And you remember what happens. Peter falls asleep. Peter and his friends, James and John, they fall asleep. So when no one's looking, they can't exercise self-control. See, that's, a key, that's a key part. Peter, when, when no one's looking, when really there's no external pressure, can, can you be building that wall? Because Jesus knows, hey, massive external pressure is going to just about ready to flood your soul. And, and you need to be ready. I need to be ready. That's what Pete, Jesus is saying. I got to be ready. I got to build this barrier here. 
and they fall asleep. So Judas comes, and they have this arrest here in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus says, <coughs> I can call 12 legions, 12 legions of angels right now against this little band of 50 men, whatever. But, but I can exercise self-control to say, even though I have that power, I know I need to go to the cross. So I'm not going to call on that. What's Peter doing? He's doing the exact opposite. Pulls out a sword, chops, tries to chop off a guy's head, misses and hits his ear. You see, you see what's happening? Here, now all the external pressure is on. Peter hasn't built the, the berm around his soul so now he gets into this situation where he should be just saying, Jesus, I'm taking your lead. I'm taking your orders. I'm going to do what you're doing. He does the exact opposite thing. Well, it doesn't end there. A few verses later, a little teenage girl, 13, 14, they're all standing by a fire at night. Hey, aren't you with Jesus? Yeah, I don't know who you're talking about. Never seen the guy. So it's a disaster for Peter. It's a complete disaster because he couldn't exercise self-control. He couldn't exercise it in the moment he needed it. And the reason he couldn't exercise it in the moment he needed it, he couldn't exercise it when no one else was looking. And so Jesus is trying to help Peter, the rest of the disciples, and now us as men to say, guys, when no one's looking, when there's no external pressure? Are you building that wall? Because there is going to be external pressure one day. It might be a 50-year flood. It might not happen for 50 years, but one year it's going to all rush in, and you need to be ready for that to happen. So my question here, a couple of questions is, uh, do you have a strategy for successful self-control? So this is one of those things that doesn't just happen got to have a strategy for it. And Paul has this great verse that we know from 1 Corinthians 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, they're all running. Paul is talking in a place that holds uh, an equivalent of the Olympic Games. So all, everybody understands this in this context. But only one is going to receive a prize. So you got to run in a way. you got to run in a way. you got to run in a way to get the prize. And, and what is that? It's, it's incredible practice every day. So what if I go to the Olympic Games this summer and I get in the finals of the 100-meter dash? Does it appear as if I've been running in such a way as I might get the prize? Answer, I mean, in case you can't see too well, uh, no. No. I can't do it on the spot. See, I could run all out at that moment. And get a 25-second, 100-meter dash. But at that moment, I'm not going to win because I haven't run in such a way. I haven't done the work behind the moment that I need to perform. And Paul, that's what Paul's saying. He's not saying act on the moment in the right way. He's saying run in such a way. Train yourself. And he says, so I, every athlete exercises self-control exercises, exercises. This word in the Greek is a familiar word. It's agonize. 
I beat my body. It's ag- it takes difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to take loss. You're going to have to give something up. It's going to be painful at different times. But 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 because you put that work in, there's a moment. And your moment might be today. God might open up the gate today and flood your life. Hope it doesn't happen, but there will be a moment. And we'll, we're, everyone would find out if you're ready. And the only way you get ready is you exercise, you agonize, you put in the time, you put in the effort, you build up the wall so that when the flood comes, you're not overrun. I, I used this illustration in uh, my sermon this past week, but a great Old Testament <coughs> picture of this is Daniel. Remember Daniel? He gets taken out of Israel to Babylon, and Babylon is just this great worldly city. And he's a young man, probably college-age person. He's got a lot of promise. That's what the Babylonians do. They would, they would conquer a territory and take all the people who had a lot of promise out and leave the poor people. And then they would reprogram the promising people. They would re-educate them. They'd give them a new name. They'd tell them about the new stories that you'd have to learn and live by. And so Daniel feels himself getting drawn into this new powerful culture. And he can't avoid it because he can't escape. He's a slave. So he, says, he decides, I need to draw some kind of line so my appetites don't hunger for the culture. And you remember, he draws his line on, I just can't eat the food from the king's table. It doesn't mean the king's table's food is bad. So the whole hokiness about Daniel's diet, it's not, that's not what it is. It's not about bad food, good food. It's about appetites. I've got to train my physical appetites so when I step into the lion's den, I'm ready for a spiritual flood. You see, the, I want you to see that connection. The reason Daniel's ready to put his life on the line is he trained his appetites. He built a wall in some way. So when the flood came in, he was ready. He was ready to be faithful. Some people got eaten by lions. Daniel on his day didn't. But see, that's, that, that's a moment every man here is going to be called into. And it might be into your family, might be into your business, might be into your church or your community, but you're going to be asked to step in and be ready at that moment. And we find out if you've trained your appetites. Josh Garrels has a great song called The Resistance. And he has these lines, follow new rules with invisible strings, as he's talking about the culture, and become a puppet in the diabolical scheme. Then he asks this question, how do good men become part of the regime? How do you just get sucked into the world? How does, how does Daniel not just get sucked into the world? How do good men become part of the regime? They don't believe in resistance. They don't believe in self-control. They don't believe saying, I've got to curb this appetite. It's okay for people to do these things. But for me, I've got to draw a line somewhere and say, no, I can't go there. Even if it's just to train, train your appetites. Well, let me mention two ways that need attention. There's, we could list 20. I might come back to some of them. But two ways that need attention. One, anger. One, apathy. 
Matthew 5, 22. Matthew 5, 22. Sermon on the Mount. How to live like a person in the kingdom is the Sermon on the Mount. The answer to that is the Sermon on the Mount. And notice that one of the very first things he says is anger, verse 21. You have heard it that it was said to those of old, you should not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, you're, in, you're liable to judgment. If you insult your brother, if you call him a fool, you fool, you'll be liable to hell. Tough words. So we just want to check this gauge. Self-control, anger. So just what does your gauge read? What's your anger gauge? A couple of ways to think about it. If you, if you have a problem, anger is disproportionate to the offense. Something happens and this this. This you fool is, you're, you're an idiot, you're dumber than mud, and you're beneath me. Most of us probably have one of these stories, do we not? Got angry, said something, put somebody in their place, and at the moment, oh, it felt good, oh, it felt so good. You said you fool. You 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 said you're you don't ex, you don't need to exist. You don't deserve to exist. I'm calling you an idiot. <clears throat> and one way that it comes through our mind that we know we're doing this is if you caricature somebody. You know, caricature. You see these street artists, and you go sit down. They draw your face or whatever. When well, order to do a caricature, what do they always have to do? They have to exaggerate some feature, right? So if you have a big nose or big ears or whatever, they, they sort of blow it out of proportion. And they're trying to be kind, but they see what's wrong with you and they make it bigger. And that, that's what happens. We see what's wrong with somebody and say, you're an idiot. And then we, then we look at them and say, they can never get out of the idiot box. But if you do something stupid and somebody calls you an idiot, what do you say? Well, it was complicated. I mean, the situation's got nuance. I mean, no. But see, what we do is we caricature somebody and we say, they can only be a liar. They can only be this. We caricature them. We blow up one bad thing and make it their whole persona. This is when you know, man, I got, I got an anger gauge I need to address. Or if your response to the problem, I've said this many times, becomes part of the problem. You've ever done this? Somebody says something, you have a right to be angry and respond, but in your anger, Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. So you over-respond, and now you have two problems. The problem you were trying to address and your attitude towards the problem. And many, many times I've talked to people about a problem, but the bigger problem is the way the people responded to the problem. Because in their anger, they couldn't exercise self-control. I was listening or looking at a um, video. I went to Memphis, 
and I went through like a museum there they have at the hotel where Martin Luther King was shot. And so they have all kinds of artifacts and little videos and things, and they talked about just the whole time in the, in the 60s, and uh, they had a little place about uh, when you would sit at counters that were previously white-only counters. And blacks would come in, and other people, whites, but mostly blacks would come in and sit at the counter, you know, and ask for food, and they'd get beaten and thrown out of the restaurant. And in this little video, they showed a practice session. So I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting. So all the people who are going to do one of these counter demonstrations, they get together somewhere, and, and, you know, you get your turn at the counter. And everybody else comes and spits on you and says terrible things to you and throws you to the ground and drags you out. And you can't respond. Why? So when it really happens, that's how you act. So you can't just go in there for the very first time and have that happen and not punch somebody in the face. So you got to practice. So when it becomes your time to sit at the counter You're not doing like Peter and chopping people's heads off. So so how does your your wall look around your soul? How is self-control happening with anger? How about an anger festers? The Bible says don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't keep bringing it up. This is what was great about the Denzel Washington thing. I just kept moving around it. I looked at it, I grabbed it, I touched it, I smelled it. And that's what happens a lot of times with anger. We let it fester and we just kind of keep it alive. And then we're kind of have a low-grade anger most of the time. So when something happens, boom, we're done. You probably won't remember this line in the movie, but um, and it's a, not an important thing at all. But the Avengers, and I don't remember. There's so many Avenger movies, I can't remember which one it was, but... They're all fighting in New York, and there's this cataract that's coming down, you know, from a, I don't know, whatever's happening. But they need Hulk, right? And uh, the, the guy that plays Hulk, he's just a regular guy on the streets. And I don't know if it's Iron Man or, you know, Captain America says, hey, we need the green guy like right now. Can we get him to be angry? You remember what he says? I'm always angry. I'm all, I can always be angry. I can, it only takes me just a moment to turn into the Hulk and pound somebody. See, somebody, some people have those streams that run under their soul. So their wall's not very strong. They're always ready to snap. I'm not hitting any points on your heart today. I'm just hitting ones in mine. How would you know if that's you? I mean, how, how do you operate in traffic? <laughs> I had a friend who had a little device on his dashboard that made explosion sounds. So when he got angry, he could push the button and like a nuclear bomb would go off and he'd, or a missile would be launched. And, you know, somebody come off and he'd launch a missile at him. That'd make him feel better. <laughs> he just had three or four sounds. 
I mean, if it gets rid of your anger, that's better than cutting somebody else off. So how about you talk about politics? How do you deal when deal with it? Do you shut down, get angry, and I don't say something. I'm not a wall puncher. I'm just a you're dead to me person. You know, Kevin, Kevin O'Leary, you know this little guy, the shark tank? You know, he tries to do a deal with you, and then when, he's, when you're not doing his deal, what does he say? You're dead to me. So maybe you're not, you're not the explosion kind, but your anger comes out as to your wife, to your boss, to your friend, hey, you're dead to me. See, different ways for different souls of how you deal with that. Second thing, last thing, then we'll talk about these. Apathy. Uh, Proverbs 24. Uh, when I went past a field of the sluggard, thorns had come up everywhere. Thorns had come up everywhere. Okay, thorns had come up everywhere. Where do you hear about thorns coming up and choking something off? Parable of the sower. Remember that? Seed gets planted, hard ground, shallow ground, and then some ground where it grows, but what happens? Thorns come up. Weeds overtake it. Chokes it, the life out of it. This is what happens with a sluggard. The ground was covered with weeds, <coughs> and a stone wall was in ruins. You see that picture? The, there was a stone wall around this person, but something had come up and sort of torn it down. I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned this lesson. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. Now, who was sleeping? Yeah, Peter. Peter was sleeping. While he was sleeping, his walls were being torn down. And it wasn't financial poverty, although I think this verse does address financial poverty. It's not limited to financial poverty. Peter was in a state of spiritual poverty. So my question in terms of apathy is not just, do you work hard or not? <clears throat> That's really not my question here. My question is, how hard do you work on your spiritual life? Well, man, I'm going 80 miles an hour. Yeah, but I, my guess is you don't have any time for your spiritual life. So that when you do step it to the counter, when it is your turn, you're not ready. Part of, part of the agony of exercising. You got you to get up early. You got to be with the Lord. You got to carry him through the day. Remember when Rocky starts, I'm really aging myself here on these movie references, but Rocky starts training. Remember, he gets the fight with Apollo Creed. And once he sort of gets the contracts, first thing he does, gets up while it's dark. Remember that? Drinks all those raw eggs and tries to run the stairs in Philadelphia. Can't get up them. But that's the beginning of agony. So when he gets in the ring, he's ready. He's ready. So what about you? Could be other areas. The wall's pretty big in a man's heart. Are you apathetic to your spiritual life? Therefore, you're not ready. You're not ready for your kids' questions. You're not ready for your, 
your disaster in your home or a question at work about your faith. You got some anger problem or another problem that just is bu- always bubbles below the surface so you're ready to explode at any point. Well, this is a it's a hard little less than fun lesson, but it's because it, it affects everybody here. It's going to affect you today. It's not going to be like, okay, I'll, I'll put that in that little bank over here in case I ever need it. No, you're going to need it probably in the next 10 minutes. Somebody in your group is going to say something stupid and go, what an idiot. No, right? So uh, we'll get together. We've got about 15 minutes. Try to get in a group of three or four. And uh, here are the questions. Ready, break.